Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Open up your Bibles to Romans 12 if you, you brought them. I can't get away from this. We might get to verse 2. We'll see. There's a lot there in verse 2. But I I can't get away from verse 1. And uh, tonight in worship just kind of confirmed that for me. Paul's writing here to the church at Rome, and he said in verse number 1, Therefore, I urge you, King James says, I beseech you, I like this, urge you, urge. Um, Real quick, that's unusual for Paul. He wrote a lot. But I I can't remember another instance, I, I was thinking before I came out, of another instance where I could remember in all of my readings of Paul, where he ever phrased something like this. I urge you. I beseech you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm calling you. One translation said, I beg you. I beg you to do something. And he said, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And to do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, I want to major, and we'll see how far we get tonight, but I want to major on verse 1 and the start of verse 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not, do not be conformed to this world. Is the world doing it? you probably shouldn't be. Uh, This is is so interesting because I'm on this journey with teenagers. And, you know, I've used this a lot because I'm I'm trying to pastor my kids as much as I am uh, you. And and more so, honestly. Uh, But the Lord is helping me with that. Um, He's been reminding me of the story of Moses, how Moses' mom had enough faith to put him in the river and to trust that someone else's hands would take the child where it needed to go. And, And in prayer, I'm placing my kids in the river of God's spirit a lot and being comfortable with other people's hands helping them in their journey. Youth pastors, and I'm so thankful for our youth team and all those things, but like, it's a, like trusting the spirit to get them in the right hands. But I, I took my daughter to Oregon, beautiful state, Oregon. 
Uh, and that's where my, my sister and my brother-in-law have planted a church. And so I wanted to go see them. But more than that, uh, um, honestly, I wanted to spend uh, five days with my, my oldest, my daughter. And, you know, time is short. She'll be 17 in October, which is wild, starting the 11th grade. And so I'm trying to uh, take as much time with her as I can. And I'm really blessed by the work of the Spirit in her life. Like, honestly, it's the greatest gift I have in life right now. Nothing matters more. I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for the work of the Spirit in her life. And um, anyway, just having conversations with her the last couple of weeks, it, it, it seems like, and I think we all have them in life, of like moments, especially when we're young, younger, like turning points where you're in something that has enough zeal in it that the, the zeal of the moment kind of captures you and propels you forward. And that's honestly what I'm contending for here and out of this campus is that we create something like that, that even people who not, might not be stirred for the things of the Spirit come in here and sense something that makes them want it. Because there's a difference between, like, I've had this image in prayer a lot of the prodigal coming to the Father and the Father just holding him. And, like, that distinction of holding the Father and the, the Father holding you. And, you know, there, there are moments in your walk with the Lord where it's like you feel the Father's embrace. And, like, you feel it, and it is, ooh, everything. And, but then, like, as a parent, for me to watch my children have that is, like, they're feeling the Father's embrace. And they're not just holding on to the Father, but they're keenly aware that the Father is holding them. It's wonderful. And I'm telling you, like, like, even for you, if you can't relate to, like, a father feeling that way for you, like, how much joy it would bring me for you to have that in your life, too. But we've, we had, like, some really in-depth conversations about walking the narrow path and few there being on it. And I don't think we, we talk about these things enough because we have so much of... And I hear people bash us all the time, and I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean I can't stand. You know, sometimes we just use common phrases. It does, though, interest me, like, on strong levels of how much the world has come into the church and, and attracting people with some of those things. Uh, but the narrow road, few are on it. And broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on it. I mean, like, literally, if you want to know something is the will of God, just see how many people are on it. Um, and we have so much of conforming to the world where the world is setting our ideology about everything, about literally everything, how to raise our children, uh, Everything, what marriage is, everything about how to use our time, how to use our money, what is important, what's not important. Like there's so much ideology coming in from the world um, that has taken even our minds and set up something that is at war 
with the law of God and at war with the spirit of God. It goes literally against everything this is. And, and out of that, uh, the unrenewed mind is at war with the will of God. It's at war, too, with the promises of God. I'm getting ahead of myself. But he says this, don't be conformed to this world. Uh, one translation puts it this way, don't be patterned after this world's mold. That the world will try to make you fit in a mold. That this is what beauty is. This is what masculinity is. This is what a leader is. This is what fashion is. This is what intelligence is. This is what all these things are. And it says, don't allow the world to give you your identity. Don't be conformed to this world. Instead, present your bodies. And he said, I urge you to do this. Present your bodies. And this is amazing how he phrases it. And because every word, you got to read the Bible slowly, because every word here is so weighted with power. By the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, present your body. Now, anytime you see, even in the Old Testament or in any other religion, you would make a sacrifice to obtain mercy. That I needed mercy, therefore I'll make sacrifice. And you see this even carried out a lot of times in segments of the body of Christ where they just have been taught wrong. Um, in that type of thing where it's like I will punish myself or even wound myself or like climb up the steps to get penance, to get mercy. And Paul, if you've read Romans at all before Romans 12, because Romans 12 is heading towards the end of the book, literally, he has written all of Romans to get to this point. In Romans, it's talking about by the mercy of God, you have been made accepted in the beloved. That it's not of works, or if it was, we could boast. That our righteousness has been given a gift by the Father. And so he's, he's like summing it all up here, saying by the mercies of God, because of what God has done for you, that you're not going to do what we're about to tell you to do because you're trying to obtain mercy and affection and love for him. You're doing this as a response to the mercy you have received instead of as a work of mercy you're trying to get. That because I have seen his mercy and I have seen his grace and I have seen his, his patience, I am now responding with what I'm about to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to earn his acceptance. I'm not trying to earn his mercy, but I am responding to what he has done. And he's saying, by the mercies of God, I want you to do something, and that is I want you to offer your body. I want you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. <laughs> now, when you think about the connotation of sacrifice in Scripture, Anything that was ever sacrificed and brought to the altar died. And when it died, the sacrifice ended. When you brought the sacrifice to the altar and you offered it, when it, it was offered, it died. And so the sacrifice is over. And you go out and you live life, and then you come to another moment of sacrifice. But what he's saying here is instead of coming to the altar 
and offering a sacrifice, which is you, and then it's over, and then you go out and you live until another time where you need it, you're actually coming as a living sacrifice, which means you come to the altar alive, but you stay on the altar living too. And you're at this place where you're giving yourself continually. Giving yourself continually to the Lord Jesus. I'm reminded of what Jen said at the prayer conference uh, in January. She said, for you to have intimacy with the Father, there are certain things you must do and there are certain things you must not do. There are certain things that must be in your life and then there are certain things that cannot be in your life. Not to be loved by the Father, but to have intimacy with him. And what he's talking about in Romans 12, he's not talking about being more loved by God. He's talking about experiencing it. That there are moments where, like this this week, I was on um, this trip to Oregon with my daughter, away from my wife, who I love, like, oof. Uh, and so out of that, um, even though we're apart physically, there's love there that is unchanging. Um, but in that relationship, uh, you have intimacy that can be enjoyed through closeness. And, you know, so you, when you come home, there are things like tonight. I enjoyed the offering segment or the, the announcement segment. I got to sit by my wife and put my arm around her. It was nice. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it's the same way with the Lord. Like when you're far, when the prodigal is far from the, the father, he's not, get this in your heart, he's not any less loved. When the prodigal is away from the father, he's not any less loved. And when he comes home, he's not more loved. It's just when he comes home, he has a chance to receive that love. So when you're not offering yourself as a living sacrifice, you are not less loved. But when you are offering yourself as a living sacrifice, not to get mercy, but as a response to his mercy, you are at this place where you are about to walk in intimacy with the Father, but not just that, you are about to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. And Paul is giving the, 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 the teaching here that unless you don't, you will not. That if you don't ever reach this place as a Christian where you are offering yourself as a living sacrifice, you will not walk in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That it is not just going to fall on you. That you come into it by surrender. You come into it by not being conformed to the world, but by offering your body as a living sacrifice. That if the world is doing it, I'm pulling away from it. If the world is thinking it, I'm pulling away from it. That I will not be patterned after this world's mold, but I will offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service. When you look up, and this is, you know, I'm going to challenge you tonight. But the reason why I'm going to challenge you is I, I genuinely feel like the Spirit of God is ready to help you be challenged. So it's kind of like when you're, you're working out and you like know people are like game to go. You know what I mean by that? Like there's just certain people you're with when you're doing it. It's like, let's do this today. And some days you just don't feel it. 
But then other days it's like, I think so. And that type of, like, I, I sense as if the spirit of God has worked, not just here, but in a generation, he is working towards this. But in the Old Testament, when something was consecrated unto God's use, he was the only thing that got to use it. When it was consecrated to God, it was not to be used for any other thing. In this level of surrender, people do not want. But it's why so many people live and die and never sniff the will of God or true intimacy with him. I beseech you. I urge you. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. I became around 17, honestly, keenly aware of what God's will for my life was. And it happened through a moment of surrender where I just got down on my bedside and told the Lord, I give my life to you. I went to Mr. Jimmy, uh, which is uh, Anna Kate's grandfather, Yom Bops, and I went to Mr. Jimmy and I'm like, I want to close down. I want to work every night. Uh, and it was my way of telling my friends, I can't go sin because I have to work. I wish I was bolder to be like, because I love Jesus, but I wasn't quite there yet. And honestly, it's one of the, the regrets I have in life. If I could go back and do anything different, I would tell them the real reason. Um, and so I went to go work for him. And um, I, I just became aware, aware of what God wanted to do for my life. And I won't tell the whole story because I've told it before. You all have heard it. Um, but I, I knew, like, one day I will preach. I didn't know when. I didn't know how. But I knew this was what I was put here on the earth to do. And then my father passed away. And that was so sudden. I mean, all of this happened within the span of months. And when he passed away, I'm sitting in science class, and the Lord speaks to me a prophecy I got when I was like 13 years old that I completely forgot about. And then on the way to the funeral, God speaks to me even strongly and tells me I'll be the next, even stronger, and tells me I'll be the next pastor. So the will of God is like being manifested in a way that honestly at 17, I couldn't understand. But I'm very thankful for it, and I pray it comes that clear to you. But out of that, because of the death of my father, and I don't know if any of you have experienced trauma on that level, uh, but it wrecked my world. Um, through weakness, and this is interesting to me because we, I was talking with a group of dads last night, and we were talking about in weakness finding God's strength. But I, I found God deeply in that moment of weakness so deeply that God wrecked my world where genuinely all I wanted was him. Now, there's a difference between like aspirationally wanting something and really wanting something. Like aspirationally, I would love to play the guitar. 
You, you know what I get? It's like, man, I watch people play the guitar and I'm like, I'd like to play the guitar, but not enough to actually practice. Does that make sense? Have you ever done that before? It's like, man, you know, I, I want to get in shape or, you know, like that type of thing. You know, like I, I would love to play the piano or, you know, figure this out or whatever it may be. But it's, it's an aspirational want versus like, I want it so much, I bought the guitar, got lessons and committed myself to it. Does that make sense? Like, and so many people aspirationally want Jesus. It's like we're in these places where even we get in services like this, it's like, oh, I love him and I want him, but just not enough to like offer my body as a living sacrifice. And to come to this place where like in that season, and honestly, if I'm honest with you, that season has provoked me to jealousy recently. Because in that season... There was nothing else I wanted but him. Genuinely. Like at this place where like those songs, you can have it all. He did have it all. He was my world and only my world. Like I woke up thinking about him, went to bed thinking about scripture. And out of that, God moved so, so strongly in my life. Uh, that, you know, I'm working at a coffee shop, God's spirit hits it, everybody hits their knees at one time, like no choreograph to it, no band, no nothing, just a spirit of prayer hits, everybody's on their knees praying, and it ushered in like four months of doing nothing but praying every night for hours. And I would go to bed, like literally praying, and wake up still praying through my sleep. We would go to school from 8 to 1230, take a break, eat, go to prayer and healing school for another hour and a half. I would then go to work, work all the way till 10, get off at 10, go pray from 11 to about 3 every morning, and then go to sleep and did not miss sleep. I couldn't wait to get in another service could not wait to get before God in prayer. And it it fueled it because we had a group of us doing it together. And it transformed us, honestly, transformed us. And we began to walk out what is the will of God. And so then it shifts from coming out of that environment and where, man, like I said, it just provokes me to so much jealousy of just wanting him like that. Not aspirationally, but just genuinely. And I came and I started pastoring the church, and it's based off of this raw, rooted love. Like, I didn't know how to write a message. I didn't know anything about communication. I didn't know anything about church government. Genuinely starting from scratch. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe it's adulting or whatever you want to call it, but life got serious for me. And I'm like, okay, like this is the will of God. It's got to be done. And without noticing what was happening in my own soul, an idol developed. And an idol became more important to me than the Lord. And the idol was what I wanted, which was I didn't want to fail. I I wanted the church to grow. 
And it came masked because the enemy always comes masked. If, if you think you see him, you don't. He comes with ideas of power, ideas of progress. Bow to me and I'll let you see progress. All of these types of things. And this idol developed in my heart that, that it crept into what I wanted. I didn't want God the same way I wanted him before. I wanted church growth. And it became the thing I prayed about. And it became the thing I prayed over. Every time I'm rejoicing, I'm rejoicing over. Not him. I'm rejoicing over what he will do for me. And everything began to center, not around the Lord. It began to center around this other thing that I wanted, which was actually his will. But through wanting his will of like, I know I'm called to pastor a church. I've seen what it could look like. I've seen what it could be. I've had a prophecy about it and over it of like what I'm doing. Like literally today, all of this was like seen and known and prophesied and given. And, and like I'm taking my life in direction of this. And all the while, while I'm taking my life in the direction of this, it wasn't just my life going in the direction of that. It was my affection. going in the direction of it. And I didn't even notice it. And in doing that, even though it was the will of God for my life, I was not proving it. I was not seeing the will of God being done. And it frustrated me because I didn't understand, like, why is the will of God not being done in my life when it's the thing I'm pursuing? Uh, and so, like, I'd even read th this verse, and you've heard me tell this story, but, like, I, would, I got rid of everything in my home, literally everything in my home. You know why I got rid of it? Not out of love for him. I got rid of it because it's like I'm paying the price for church growth. And I'm like, every book I will read. Why? It wasn't for him. It wasn't to know him. My determined purpose was not to know him. And so I'm offering myself as a sacrifice, but not for him, for who I wanted to be. And I'm offering it to a, an idol that was taking the place of him. And I didn't see it until I reached rock bottom. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like for year, uh, over a year, like I'm praying I'm, and we're not seeing progress in any of the will of God. And you've heard me tell this story. Second Chronicles 26, verse 5. I'm reading all the old kings because a lot of them came into power when they were young. And I'm reading this chapter and I'm seeing this story about King Uzziah. And it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And I threw my Bible and I'm like, what is you made him prosper as long as he sought the Lord you made him prosper I'm like I, I am seeking you like literally my whole life has been purged to you I only have a desk and books I eat off the desk and I sleep in the bed there is no other furniture in the house I don't watch tv I don't play video games I don't do any of this and I'm not seeing anything in my life and I just felt the gentle tug of the spirit like read it again. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Second Chronicles 26, 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. I'm like, I don't get it. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him. And then I saw it. 
It's like a light bulb went off. As long as he sought the Lord. And I just started weeping because I saw it of like, I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm seeking growth. I'm seeking another idol. But this thing and this idea of what it could be, this life that I pictured of what it could be if everything went the way I wanted it, became an idol to me. And I was sacrificing and serving it versus him. And Uzziah was not seeking the Lord so that the kingdom would grow. He wasn't seeking the Lord so that I could find the perfect spouse for my life. He was not seeking the Lord for any of those things. He was seeking the Lord because Uzziah loved the Lord. And out of this, what's happening in his life? He's prospering, which is his life is seeing progress. That's the biblical definition of of prosperity is your life is seeing progress on the journey. You were here, but now you are here. And he's seeing progress come by the hand of God. He is proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for his life. Why? He's offering his body as a living sacrifice. And I don't even know if he was cognizant or aware of what he was doing at 16 when it happened. I sure was not cognizant or aware when I, what I was doing when God met me. I was just weak, like in a weakened state from my father passing away, looking for strength. And out of that, he became my strength. And I see him pick me up and, you know, spirit of prayer hits and I'm having wild times in God. And then based off of that wave of momentum comes up this new stage of life where an idol was formed in me. And my affection wanted something more than him. And I want you, and I'm in this journey in my life because I've talked to the Lord about it a lot. Of, I'm in a whole different arena of life now where I've never been in the natural stronger. Like I'm so blessed with a healthy family and I'm so blessed with healthy churches and campuses and the church has never been stronger and there's never been more peace and I've never had a better staff and like all of these things. And I, I've come to the Lord and I'm like, weaken me. Weaken me. I don't want anything but you. And so, like, I'm on this journey, even for my own life, of like, I I want to be provoked to jealousy for him in ways of which I have never been provoked before that I'm coming to him and counting everything, everything but rubbish for the excellency of knowing him. Everything but rubbish. It means nothing. And part of me knows, and this is honestly the part that's a little scary for me, part of me knows it's because there's still a measure of the will of God for my life that I have not walked in yet. But I've told the Lord, I don't want to pay whatever price I'm paying for that. But if you want it, 
if you want it. And so I'm talking to my daughter about all these things, and I'll close with this. Um, Go over Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Because she's in this stage of life as well as, as an 11th grader of like the fire of God burning up things that no one else, even her age, is understanding. And, and I'm at that stage where it's like I genuinely... And, and, and seeing the fire of God burn like that in my life again in like really wonderful ways. But I want you to notice something here, uh, the wording that the Spirit of the Lord gives Paul in Philippians 3, and this is important, in verse 8. Well, verse 6. Well, let's start in verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised on the eighth day, he could have left that out. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteous, which is the law, found blameless. Watch this. But whatever things were gained to me, whatever those things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of their surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ. There's so much, um, so much more, this is enough. We'll we'll end here. I, I want you to notice what he says in the middle of that verse. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish. Do you notice the beginning and the end? That the beginning, when you are offering yourself as a living sacrifice, it is suffering. I have suffered the loss of all things. And when you are going through this life of offering yourself as a living sacrifice, your flesh will remind you, one, no one else is doing this. No one else is doing this. Secondly, it'll try to convince you, is it really even that bad? Thirdly, it'll remind you, I've been in your life and you made it this far. And when you begin to offer that in surrender, it feels like suffering. Because your flesh will miss the thing that you cut from it. But when you come to this place, if you make it past that veil of suffering, when it's done, 
you look at it and you say it was all rubbish. That it really wasn't that life-giving anyway. That I had it in my life and it was keeping me from so much more. And when you go on this journey, it is not easy to start. And anyone who says it is has never truly sacrificed. If it doesn't hurt, it's not sacrifice. But there is no deep relationship that was ever birthed out of convenience. There is no friendship that is true friendship with only convenience at its core. There is no marriage that is worth its salt that only has convenience in it. If you have a good friendship, you have a friendship where there is sacrifice. You have a good marriage, you have a marriage where there is sacrifice. And if your walk with the Lord is purely based off of convenience, it will only take you so far, but you begin to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You begin to take your life away from being conformed by this world. You take it on a narrow path, and you know what you will find? You will find life. You will find intimacy with the Spirit, and you will find the plan of God. You'll find it like unfold before you, that literally you'll see the Lord do what he said he would do, add it to you, that it is not you working for it, it is being added and laid beside you. That you will prove what is the will of the Lord for you. And then when you walk in it, like I am now, and you walk in it, and you have the family, you have everything you ever wanted. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's precious, and it's, it's of the Lord. You see how wonderful it is. But you also see in the middle of it that nothing compares to the excellency of knowing him. And the intimacy that is to be found and can be had in him is something that is, is so life-giving that I, I genuinely, like Paul, it's like, how do you describe the height and depth and breadth of his love? It's like, I don't know how to do it other than to just to say it's wonderful when you're swimming in it. And it's even more wonderful when I watch my, like to watch my wife worship on her knees. Surrender to Jesus. That I, I long for you to see what I see. And to have what I have in marriage and in family and in life. But it is born out of a deep cut. A deep cut. That only covenant will bring. 
But if you are willing to do it, you'll run your race and you will finish your course and you'll see the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us the courage to offer ourselves as living sacrifice. That, Father, maybe some of us are born or in a season of weakness now. Let us turn that weakness into strength. Let us turn that weakness into devotion to you. But maybe some of us have been in positions of strength. Let us humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And let us come to a place where we begin even afresh and anew to suffer the loss of things that we may know you and share intimacy with you. Father, give us a heart for consecration. Let us be yours. And Father, dare I say it and pray it, let us be only yours. And I thank you, Father, that in some shape, form, or fashion, for those who are are hearing this, that their level of consecration, maybe it just goes an inch deeper or a mile, but in some way, let our consecration to live holy and our consecration to be yours be deeper than it's ever been before. In Jesus' name. Amen.